This is Deion Dawkins, man, and you're listening to The Scoop on OwlScoop.com. You already should know. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to The Scoop, OwlScoop.com's podcast. This is season seven now. Season seven, episode one joined by Kyle Gauss and our newest staff member, technically not our, our newest staff member, but one of our newest staff members, Dante Colinelli. Dante, Kyle, good to see you. Dante, welcome to the podcast. Uh, tell us, I mean, I know you, I've known you for a couple of years, uh, but tell our, our listeners a little bit about yourself, what you do, about your football expertise and all that good stuff. Yeah, excited to be here. Um, this is my third year covering Temple football. Technically, uh, I started out at the Temple News being the football beat reporter there. Um, so I'm not completely new to the beat or anything. I actually have a, a pretty good baseline for that. And then um, I don't know if I'd qualify it as in my free time anymore as much as I do it. But um, I cover the NFL draft for a variety of different places, um, you know, just kind of watching and, and studying the game and writing scouting reports and different articles. Um, that has very much taken over my life, though. So football for me is is very much a, a 24-7 gig at this point. Awesome. We're, we're, we're glad to have you on board. Maybe maybe we'll have Kyle run a 40 in Lot K. You can assess his draft status. What do you think I would run a 40 in? You sound like Uncle Rico and uh, Napoleon Dynamite. What do you think I can throw that football over those mountains? I think 5-4. I think I could do a 5-4. I four is pretty good. For yeah, like I think a, I can do that. I got some. I got some burst. Good. I got some burst. Now you know. Now what you call an endurance guy? You five four. <laughs> what, what makes? I mean, if you run recently, what makes you think you could run a five four? Oh, I'm. I, John, we've talked. We don't have to get into my personal life. I lost like fifty five pounds over the last year. I'm doing cardio all the time. I, I crush it. When's the last time you ran a mile, John? You could still be skinny and slow. I haven't run a mile recently. But... Right. Yeah. So what's, what's with the coming at me for? I ran a I'm mile. Like, I ran a mile like a month you. and a half ago. Just see, see if I could. But we're not can. a mile. Well, yeah, I know. But it makes it even better. If I can do a mile, I can do anything for 40 yards. We'll see. We'll Let's see. do it. Al Scoop Olympics. I'll dominate you. Al Scoop Olympics. Lot K. Or we'll go to the, what's that lot? The We'll go to the Jetro lot in the airport. <laughs> Dear God. <laughs> Anyway, uh, great to have Dante on board. Sam's not with us today. Hopefully he'll be back for uh, next week's episode. But uh, preseason camp has officially started in a new venue that we did not expect in case you missed it. Uh, as we first reported a couple weeks ago, Temple is, we think, going to be in preseason camp for the first couple weeks up in the Bronx at the SUNY Maritime Complex up there. Uh, the whole goal was to just kind of get away. Uh, Rod Carey talked about the fact that, you know, with last year at this time, you know, they weren't in camp. They were waiting, waiting, and waiting. Things were kind of disjointed. They were healthy to start the year, but didn't start the year until what, October 10th at Navy. And then once they started experiencing injuries, experiencing COVID, COVID absences, it didn't stop. So I think the, what they've talked about is to, to get ahead of that uh, and to kind of just reestablish some sort of continuity and camaraderie there up there. Uh, for the first couple of weeks, uh, you guys were at media availability today. I was not able to be there, 
Uh, Will Quenku was available. Randall Jones was available. Jaden Blue spoke. Uh, we've got some audio from Jaden Blue. We've got some audio a little bit later in the show. Dante had the chance to talk to Sam Martin from Curtis High School up in Staten Island. Temple's newest verbal commitment. We'll get into him a little bit later. Got a pretty full mailbag as well this week. But to bring things back to today's media availability, we're recording this on Thursday afternoon. What stood out to you guys? Again, first first true media availability from camp yesterday during media day was a little disjointed to say the least. So uh, what stood out from today? Um, I think I think it's kind of still early in this whole camp process. I think that was kind of one of the themes that stuck out to me when people talked about people, everyone, everyone wanted to ask these guys, hey, what what's it like being up there? What's it like being, you know, kind of in like a bunker mentality and us against the world? And they've only been up there for 24 hours at this point. So I mean, I think they're all pretty still new to it at this point, kind of taking it in. I think, I, I think it's a good idea. I mean, I think that there is just so many moving parts to this team that you need to take advantage of any opportunity you have to kind of galvanize them. Um, it sounds like you're hearing some conflicting reports about wh- whether or not it's an unplugged camp, if they're allowed to, you know, have their laptops, if they're allowed to have television. I think Jaden Blue said, hey, I missed my video games. Um, but then I think you see on social media, some people still have access to some things. Uh, but I think it's just it's just early days. I think it's a a good idea. I mean, I think um, Jaden Blue talked about, for example, and I think we're going to play a clip of this. Jaden Blue talked about, hey, me and Dwan Mathis still have to get better. Our relationship has to go from good to great. We're both perfectionists. We need to make take advantage. And there is no better opportunity than this when you're up in a small college with one road in, one road out in the Bronx that uh, allows you to kind of just play with your your teammates and get used to a bunch of new faces. Yeah, I mean, I, I think I would uh, agree with that. And I think what was cool is it was kind of uh, trying to get some of the details out of the guys as far as, you know, what is actually going on there. Like Will Quenku managed, uh, mentioned that the team is uh, rooming in a way that, like, is forcing some guys to interact who don't usually interact. You know, he used the example that, like, some of the guys on the offense are rooming with some of the special teams guys and, and they're kind of being like forced to mingle and, and whatnot. So uh, we'll see. It's, it's an interesting team chemistry experiment. And, and like Kyle said, I think, you know, you have a team that so many moving parts, so many new transfers, um, you know, obviously the big one is, is Dewan Mathis. And um, I, I thought one of the interest, the other interesting quote from Jaden blue was, you know, he said like, I haven't noticed a change in Mathis since he's been named the starting quarterback. Like he's just been consistent. He's been the guy he's always been confident. He has that mentality about them. And I know that that's like, you know, chalk stuff. Like that's what we're supposed to hear, but it's still good to hear it. Nonetheless, you know, you don't want to hear something different from the new starter. So um, that was, it was, it was interesting. A lot of talk about, um, you know, how they were doing up there at the camp and how they were adapting. But like Kyle said, I mean, it's day two, you know, how much can you really take from that? You know, probably not too much. Yeah, I, I think it's definitely possible that Rod Carey and Matt Lipman and the rest of the coaches have just watched the first half of Remember the Titans. Like, it's essentially they're going through that same thing. We're going to put them in a camp. We're going to make them interact with uh, not just offense thing with offense, not just defense thing with defense. But, I mean, the reason it's a cliche is because it's it's worked in the past, right? So it will be curious. I mean, I think if everything clicks right for Temple and every transfer plays to their potential, then they have the possibility of being a pretty decent team. It's just, they really need to hit on a lot of, a lot of question marks. So anytime you can kind of put your thumb on the scale a little bit and put it in your favor, I think it's take advantage of that. All right. So as we mentioned, we have some audio from Jaden blue from today's session with reporters. I'm going to play a couple of clips here. One uh, referring back to something that, that Kyle talked about with, uh, Jaden and, and talking about getting on the same page with Dewan Mathis. And then it also seems that um, 
based on looking at the the Americans' preseason media poll, that Jaden has a little bit of a chip on his shoulder with that. So we're going to play these clips here for you and then react to them. I say it's good. It ain't great, but it's good. Because the only reason I'm not saying it's great is because we both two people that have such high expectations for ourselves. So I'm not going to lie and say it's great because at the end of the day, we got so much more work to do. So much more work to, you know what I mean, when the timing of routes. But this camp, especially, we've been able to continuously, you know what I mean, focus on whenever he's up to throw, I'm stepping up. You know what I mean? It's, it's, it's that time of the year where everything got the timing and everything has to start flowing. So I really um, have been pushing for that with him. But we, we definitely, this camp, within a day or two, We've been taking those necessary steps. So I'm saying it's good, but it's going to be great by the time September 2nd comes. So, I mean, last year was last year. It was one season. You know what I mean? If you look back at the 2019 season, he was eight and five. He was only going to do better last year. But at the same time, last season is just last season. It shouldn't be nothing that we, everybody should worry about. I mean, I've seen that they had us uh, rank this 10th or something in the conference. That's a joke. Like those type of things, but they, they, they're motivated. They're, and motivations for guys like me, you feel me? And I hope the rest of my teammates feel the same way. I wish they made us 11 for 12 or whatever. If it was last, whatever. Because at the end of the day, I know that just puts more of a chip on my shoulder. But, you know what I mean? Last season don't got nothing to do with that. Uh, how are we going to be coming this year? Wholeheartedly, yeah, I feel that. All right. So, in case you didn't see the the preseason media poll, Temple was uh, came in 10th out of 11 teams, correct? Correct. And so, I, I, it's kind of interesting to... to think about how guys view this. Now, this was a good month, month and a half ago. I didn't have a poll to point to, but uh, I had the chance to talk to Amir Tyler when Deion Dawkins came to campus for his uh, community service event. Uh, and I asked him at the time, like, is it kind of, is it kind of cool being looked at as an underdog now? You guys lost a lot of people in the portal. You, you may not be picked as the team to win the league. And he's like, he essentially said, I don't really love it it's nice to be regarded as a great team. So I don't necessarily love always being, you know, or not always, but I don't necessarily love being looked at as the underdog, but then you hear Jane blue there saying it's, you know, putting a chip on her shoulder. Um, do you guys think something like that could actually work this year, given the fact that they're, they're coming up in one and six season, they got hit hard by COVID. They, they, you know, they lost a bunch of guys to the portal. Obviously we're not up there with the team, but do you think something like that could motivate a guy like Jaden? It could actually really you know, put a chip on their shoulder and it could actually make a difference. Uh, you know, I, I think that's a, I think that'll have to be like an individual question for those guys. And and I think Jaden answered it today, just kind of saying that it did for him. Um, I, you know, I think something that like people forget looking on the outside, like, you know, these kids pretty much devote their lives to football when they're there. Like they have a lot of other stuff going on as student athletes, but they're already incredibly self-motivated, you know? So I think it could be nice for them to maybe like, you know, band around that as a team that went one and six last year and they're, you know, picked to finish 10th in the American. I think, you know, the other thing too, is like, I, I don't know if they could have expected to be ranked higher, just given not because they don't have the talent per se, or they should expect, you know, or they should think that they don't have the talent, but, you know, just from the sheer, you know, they lost so many guys, they're bringing in so many transfers. I mean, there's just so many question marks, you know, as a, you know, I don't get to vote on the poll, but if I was, you know, I'd have to sit there and ask myself a lot of questions about Temple and just a lot of really important positions. I don't, I don't know, you know, we all think Dewan Mathis is going to be, you know, something, but I mean, he hasn't played a lot of football since high school and, you know, he was a little bit shaky against Arkansas again, little, you know, minimum snaps, but again, 
you know, does that work as, as you know, bullet board material? I don't know. I, I think that'll come down to each individual player. It seems like Jaden's certainly taking to it. Uh, he seemed pretty, you know, pretty into it today, but um, I, I don't know how much I, how much stock I put into that, you know, for the whole team. Yeah, I would agree. I mean, I think um, I, I especially agree with that part with, I, I don't think it was reasonable for them to expect not to be that far down the pole. I mean, they went one and six, right? They went one and six. And then from the outside, if you're, an SMU reporter and you're looking at Temple, you say, okay, they went one six and then they lost a lot of guys. So like, why wouldn't they be worse like than what they were? I think they're going to be a better team this year than they were last year, but I'm probably closer to the situation than a reporter in Dallas watching this. I also think these things are usually complete BS. I think you have 10 teams in the American. If you're any team other than Cincinnati, you're probably upset with where you are right now. Like if you're SMU or UCF, UCF's been number one in the, preseason poll for three straight years. And this is the first year they haven't been since 2007, I think, or 2008. My son is trying to ride our dog like a horse. So ignore any noises you might hear in the background. So I, I think I think there's just a lot of disappointment in general. And I would agree with Dante's part where it's, hey, it's, it's individual aspect. I think if there's one time that you want to be viewed as an underdog, it's probably week one. Like you probably want that preseason, like, hey, we can sneak up on somebody here. They might be thinking this is a rollover win and we have the opportunity to kind of surprise some people. Fast forward eight weeks from now, when you're on week four, week five of the regular season, you're not sneaking up on anybody. People know if you're good. They know if you're bad. No one's really looking past you in college football at this point. So, yeah, I think it's going to be a player-by-player situation. I don't think – I don't think – I think it's a player-by-player. Are they motivated? Are they not motivated? Do they even know? I think there's probably a lot of players in that locker room right now that have no idea what the media voted. Speaking of uh, – not to get us too far off track, speaking of week one – now, there were three Temple players that left in the portal to go to Rutgers, and one, we found out Kristen Braswell, unfortunately, out for the season. And we heard the uh, knee injury, right? I think, uh, yeah, no, Braswell's out for the year with a knee injury. Maje has not, hasn't been practicing yet, but I think Shiano said that he's, uh, he's he, he thinks he's going to be okay. So he right. thinks he'll be ready. And then David, and then David Wugugu is like, David Wugugu is in a fight to, to see the field. So, I mean, I don't think it's out of the possibility. I don't think this is going to happen. I don't think it's out of the possibility if my Shea gets more dinged up and isn't ready for week one that they don't see any of those guys. All right. So, as we mentioned, Will Quink, who was available today to talk to reporters, you look at that linebacker position, and it is one where you do bring back, you know, a couple of experienced guys. But as we mentioned, as you both mentioned, there are a lot of question marks with this team. So it's not surprising that they were predicted to finish 10th in the league. I think the, the American, I think even said in their, in their release of the, the seven years that the league's been in existence, only two, two of the teams that were picked to, to finish, to, to win the league actually won the league. But regardless, there are question marks. We know that along the defensive line, uh, a quarterback, we have to see if, if Dwan Mathis is going to be as good as advertised. But again, you look at that linebacker position and you know, again, Will Quenku started a lot of games, started every game at middle linebacker. George Reed comes back. George Reed kind of really emerged and became more of a, an every down player in that USF game. But you've got some other guys there, you know, really fighting for, for, for spots. You know, Quantel Reigns, it looked like he was really seeing a lot of the first team snaps at Bubo in, in spring. Again, if you're wondering what that means, it's kind of like a hybrid safety uh, linebacker hybrid. You know, you're it's a linebacker. The Sam Franklin, yes. It's, it's Sam Franklin. Imagine what Sam Franklin was. That's what it is. Yeah, Sam Franklin now seeing first-team reps with the Panthers again, right? Yeah, he started a fair amount of games last year. Yeah, rookie. yeah. So let's look at that linebacker position. And again, as we as we move throughout you know, preseason camp, we'll be looking at a lot of these positions. I, 
how do you guys see this playing out? I mean, is it a safe assumption to think, you know, maybe up at Rutgers, Quenku starts in the middle, George Reed starts at one of the outside positions, or do you think, you know, I, I think it's also fair to say that there are some younger guys on the roster that might be better athletically, might have more pure ability, whether that's a Jordan McGee, whether that's a Yvonne Rigby, uh, a Kobe Wilson, a lot, everybody seems to love Kobe Wilson. He's a little undersized at 5'11", but how do you guys see things playing out the linebacker position? I know it's early, but it's it, it maybe the, the, there are jobs there to be had, not to try to take anything away from Will and George, but again, you do have some younger guys that might be a little bit more athletic, more talented. I wanted to see what you guys thought about that. Um, I, I think that, you know, we hear a lot from coaches that like, oh, every position group is up for grabs. Everyone has to compete. And, you know, like that's just kind of seems to be like a cliche at this point. Like, you know, that some positions are and some positions aren't. I mean, I think this is like a, a really like a legit competition. Like Will Quanku and George Reed are like really going to have to go out there and earn those spots, um, even though that they have the experience. And, I, and John, I think you made a really good point. I mean, you know, guys like Yvandy Rigby and, and um, Kobe Wilson, I mean, they're just more athletic than those guys, you know, like they just bring a little bit more juice to the, to the second level. And, you know, when you're playing in a conference like the American, so many teams that like to run the horizontal spread, I mean, you know, you need those guys, you know, you need guys who can get sideline to sideline guys who can operate in coverage and, you know, nothing against Will Quenku, nothing against George Reed, you know, they're both smart players, you know, they have good instincts and different things like that, you know, they've been here for a while, but, you know, they don't have the same, you know, young legs that those other guys have at the end of the day. Right. And, and that could be a real asset. So, you know, I, I think it's realistic to think that maybe, you know, like you said, Will and George get the nod, you know, at, against Rutgers and, you know, they'll get that opportunity to kind of lose their spot. But I mean, we've heard a lot of really good things about Kobe Wilson, both in the spring and, and even, um, you know, in between there. I mean, everybody just seems to talk about how good he's getting. So it would not surprise me if, if Will and George don't lock down those spots, because I, I just think that Temple has so many young guys, you know, pushing them right now. And, and they might just be better already just because they're a little bit faster. Where do you see Kobe Wilson at? I think, you know, ideally with his size, you want to play him at will linebacker there in the, uh, in the interior. You don't really, I mean, he's a physical guy, so he might be able to get away with it, but ideally you don't really want him taking on blocks and having to stack shed like a, like a Mike would do. You want him as a will a guy who can kind of flow sideline to sideline. He doesn't have to deal with a lot of stuff. He can kind of snake his way through it and get into the backfield. So I think that would be the ideal role for him, but you know, if he comes out there and he's just like, he knows the playbook really well. And he's just, you know, directing guys and being a leader. You know, I wrote about him before I left the temple news in the spring. And that was one of the big things that I heard from, you know, the coaching staff and from the players that like, this kid's just a really good leader for a young player. So if they like him in that role, I, he could probably survive at Mike uh, in, in the middle there. But I think ideally he's a will linebacker for sure. In the leadership council already is a, well, I guess, I, I guess I've been in the, in the preview. I was writing returning freshman because these guys are getting that, that year back. So. Yeah, so it sounds like super senior is what we're calling these like six year seniors. What are we calling the, the are we just calling them freshmen? Yeah. I mean, I guess they're just, we call them freshmen. I, I, I thought about calling them returning freshmen as kind of like a nod to like, yeah, they played last year, but they still get that year. I don't know. I think I'm going to call them freshmen and I'm going to feel the need to emphasize true freshmen. If like a true freshman plays is probably how I'll distinguish. So for like those, that. for those keeping count at home, yeah. <laughs> Just seen a freshman, freshman, redshirt freshman. <laughs> um, uh, real quick, I mean, I don't even think we talked about Jordan McGee. I mean, Jordan McGee, right? Yeah, at times. I mean, yes. from what we're kind of hearing, he might be have the versatility to kind of play all three spots. Um, Bubo seems like it might be a little 
thin right now if you're going entirely off the roster where you're looking at Quantel Reigns, a guy who played more of a traditional safety at West Virginia. Um, Thomas Joe Kamara, who didn't play all that much last year. Mahima Cargo, who only played special teams. So mm-hmm. I guess they're either really confident or that might be a situation where somebody like Jordan McGee or a Chauncey Moore or somebody that's played there in the past could fill in if possible. Yeah, it'll be interesting to to kind of you know see what Jeff Knowles' rationale is there. It's like, do I just is it a trust thing? I want I want upperclassmen there at Rutgers. We'll see how things go. If if it's working, I'll stick with these guys. If we fall behind, we'll give some of the younger guys some snaps. Or is it just going to be the thing like Dante said, where it's like, no, this is truly an open competition. Hey, Will, love what you've done, but you know Rigby really might be our best bet in the middle, or maybe it's you know and. Um, yeah, well, it'll be really interesting because to see what kind of liberties they take there, and if they just say, "Hey, we realize you've 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 done a lot here. You did a lot last year in terms of being available in a year and a season when people weren't available for a number of reasons." But I think that's really one of the most interesting positions to watch in a year where pretty much all the positions are, are interesting to watch. I, honestly, I think it's going to be a situation where if you in January you look at the starting lineup week one and compare it to the starting lineup week nine it's probably drastically different. I think if you're going on the road against a big 10 opponent, granted you're, you're not going to the big house or the, or even like Beaver stadium It is Rutgers. Like it is, it's not that level, but it's still on the road. It's still a hostile environment. I think you're going to see them tend to lean towards Will Quank, who's a six year guy. He's 24 years old at this point. Like I'd rather put him out there as starting instead of putting an 18 year old with big guys. Mm-hmm. All right, so moving along to recruiting, and again, we'll we'll continue. Obviously, uh, check back on the site. We did a lot of preview work leading up to preseason camp. Um, if you're listening to this now, you'll be able to read Dante's story from today's media availability uh, starting next week. I think we're going to have media availability virtually every single day, uh, talking to select coaches, position groups, and stuff like that. So uh, definitely keep checking back here for uh, real quick, just to kind of put a bow on um, preseason. It's, they kind of did this last year, I think two years ago, the days of, we don't have availability to like see them yet. I think we're going to get that once, once they're uh, back, once they're back on. They are doing the football like blog where they're highlighting certain things that happen during practices. Uh, the one came out today. It seems like the Justin Lynch being in competition for the backup role thing is real. He connected with Malik Cooper, a 65 yard touchdown. We all Mitchell also has 65 yard touchdown. Rory Bell, Liam Hart, both at 48 yard field goals. Liam Hart, we reported a week ago is the new walk on, uh, kicker who looks like he's going to be competing with Rory Bell for at least kickoff duties. Um, and then no mention of some of the big names that you would expect. So it might just be a situation where they're not necessarily running full scrimmages yet or anything like that. Just seven on seven drills. So that's what happened today up in the Bronx. Thank you, Kyle. Other things uh, probably happened in the Bronx too. Yes. It's a big city. Somebody saw Babe Ruth's ghost. Maybe. <laughs> uh, anyway, um, on the recruiting front, uh, since we last spoke to you on the scoop, Temple landed its fifth verbal commitment, uh, potentially a big piece to the 2022 class. Uh, and Sam Martin uh, from Curtis High School up in Staten Island. Uh, at one point during his recruitment, uh, you know, Kyle and I have talked about this a lot and to explain this to readers, you know, uh, running backs in the recruiting world in a, in a lot of ways are kind of like quarterbacks where, you know, and again, like a guy like Sam Martin did have a lot of big offers at one point. He had Boston College. He had uh, he had Pitt. He had Purdue. He had Rutgers, uh, Syracuse, Tennessee, Vanderbilt, West Virginia, Wake. Um, a lot of good programs. And then what will happen is, you know, once 
once these programs, if they're going to take maybe one back in the class, then they'll kind of, they'll move on, you know, to the next, next spot on their board. But, um, he's had some really good offers along the way. Um, again, from, uh, from Curtis high school in Staten Island, about five eleven, hundred and eighty 180 pounds. And, uh, what will be interesting to see how this recruiting cycle shapes out, uh, shakes out too, because, now going into it, you know, I think a lot of people who cover this stuff, who look at this stuff will say, okay, how many true high school players are you going to take? How many spots are you going to leave for guys in the portal? But, you know, I think this year really is going to be, and I think there's a mailbag question about this too. I, I, maybe Gabe Infante really truly does not know if he has an elite back on the roster right now and maybe sees, you know, uh, a guy like Sam Martin as, you know, maybe that guy in, in the future. Um, but so maybe this is the only back they take in the class, but pretty big get for the program. Dante, you had a chance to to talk to Sam and we'll play a clip from him in a second. What were your impressions just from, from talking to him? And again, in case you have not subscribed to Al Scoop and you can, uh, Dante did talk to Sam, check out that story up on the site. But uh, what did you guys discuss when you had the chance to catch up with him for the story? Yeah, I think uh, the first thing that really stood out to me was, you know, when I asked him, like, you know, is how firm is this verbal commitment? He said, you know, I'm shutting it down. I'm going to Temple. It's 100 percent. I think, you know, um, uh, most verbals these days are, are, are a little bit flimsy. So it was interesting to, to hear that from him. And I, I think that, you know, another thing that I heard from him is just that, you know, he's already getting ready and, and trying to get his body ready to play college football. You know, that was kind of his main focus when I tried to steer the conversation on, to on the field stuff is just that like, Hey, like I'm trying to bulk up, I'm trying to get stronger, you know, like I'm trying to prepare myself, obviously, you know, he still has to play a senior season of high school, but you know, he seems to be very much in that, you know, I'm going to be a college football player mentality already. Um, you know, and it, it just seems like, you know, you talk to these kids sometimes and, um, again, like this is kind of my first year doing it. So I don't know how good my barometer is for this overall, but, um, you know, it seems like, you know, some of the guys are, you know, a little bit lukewarm, but, you know, and they kind of, you know, um, you know, get there eventually, you know, he just seemed like he was, you know, really into the temple program, you know, just every time I asked about the program and, and the people there and the players that he talked to, he just seemed like that was when he was most, most enthusiastic in our interview. Um, you know, he talked about, we're going to play a clip of, um, you know, what he talked about uh, his conversations with some of the players that he met at the uh, recruiting barbecue last week. Um, you know, that was when he was most enthusiastic. So um, I, I think that those were the big takeaways that I had. I, I haven't seen him play a ton, um, but you know, as far as what he thinks of the temple program, I mean, he just seems like he's, he's really excited and he's ready to get going already. Well, I mean, you did hit on the one thing that people love to ask us about when it comes time to talking about recruiting and discussing recruiting stories, uh, on the message boards, we see this all the time. How firm do you think his verbal is? So again, of course, these are fluid things as much as people hate hearing that, but it is interesting when a, when a recruit comes out and says, yeah, I'm, I'm shutting my recruitment down. I mean, fans obviously always love to hear that. So you, you did hone in on one thing that, that people like to hear. Um, so again, we'll continue to cover this 2022 uh, recruiting class. Um, stay tuned for that. You know, Temple's continued to have, um, if you check back on the site, uh, when we break some recruiting information for you, you know, um, uh, Gabe Infante is the program's recruiting coordinator now. And um, we're hoping to talk to him sometime in the future to catch up with him. But you know, there were some really good players from Archbishop Wood who were on campus last week. A lot of them were, were 2023 players, but uh, this class is you know far from completed. But again, who knows if it's like a, a quarter of the way there, half the way there, a third of the way there, based on how many spots they're going to leave 
uh, for the portal. We'll play this clip as Sam mentioned. Um, you know, there's a Staten Island connection there with Ahmad Anderson uh, and Nick Baggs. So here's Sam Martin talking about what he heard from those guys about Temple as he decided to, you know, uh, went about, you know, trying to make his decision. Uh, they just kept, they just kept it real. Everything they liked about Temple, everything they didn't like about Temple and stuff like that. So that's what they, they, they got me on that part. Cause most of the time you talk to people and they're not real about what they don't like about something because they want you to join, but they were real about it. They told me what it was. They told me what, what it's going to be and what they're like. And I think they're great players. All right, again, so uh, we'll keep you posted on any updated uh, recruiting news that's coming down the pike. Uh, we've got a pretty full mailbag, uh, all football-related stuff. I think mostly football-related stuff. So uh, thank you to all of you who submitted questions. Most of these come in from our AlScoop uh, message boards. Again, a lot of these come from uh, screen names that we're going to read out here. Uh, a lot of football roster questions, camp questions. Um, first one here. Uh, the screen name is T for Temple U1. Uh, apologies if this has been asked recently, but any speculation or rumblings on searching for a permanent athletic director? I'm sure the board was focused on President Wingard's appointment, but with all the conference realignment news dropping, it's a bit concerning that this athletic department is in the hands of an interim AD, regardless of who it is. So thank you for the question. Yes, that interim athletic director is Fran Dunphy. Uh, I don't know, you know, based on some people we've talked to, I don't know that the search for the new athletic director has started. Um, I would imagine that it will at, at some point. I think they're getting at least uh, from what we've been told, some sort of committee together, whether it's a steering committee or some sort of uh, group of fans to kind of gauge, you know, what they think they should be looking for. But I don't think the search has officially started yet. Um, but yeah, as, as for a timeline, I, I'm not really sure yet. And again, I get it. You know, there's potential conference realignment. There's, you know, what are they going to do in terms of rolling out more of a plan for name, image, and likeness? I get that. The new president's coming in. The fan base is saying, how quickly are they going to move on this? You know, I, I would hesitate to say that, oh, the search is going to start next week or two weeks from now. We don't know that for sure. Uh, but, you know, I... I I don't know. I don't know what the timeline is going to be. I, I would think things would be moving soon. How... How soon? I'm not sure. Kyle, Dante, I don't know if you guys want to chime in on this and add anything else. No, no, I got nothing. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I think, yeah, I, I haven't heard anything to the contrary, but I think this is still fairly early days. Yeah. Next question. Uh, screen name is PA Fanatic. Project the starting defensive line going into fall camp, and we will. Uh, I don't know will if he's we, will we, we see if there are any surprises in three weeks. I think he kind of like switched that up. So project the starting defensive line going into fall camp. And will we see any surprises in three weeks? Again, here's another, another position between, you know, the tackles and the ends again, we'll, we'll, we'll see what, you know, what Jeff Knowles does like scheme wise. Uh, I think we've talked a lot about how big of a loss and how significant of a loss Arnold Ebiketti was. I think we'd all say we, we think he's got a chance to be a future pro. Uh, left in the portal. He's at Penn State now. Um, you know, I, I'd say maybe Will Rogers is one of your projected starters at defensive end there. Didn't play a whole lot last year at Washington State. Had a pretty good year. He Two, opted. Well, he opted out. Opted after like, out. Like four games. Yeah. Right? Yeah. yeah. So, and, I, you know, again, just a guess. I think that, you know, had Arnold Abichetti come back, I, I think he was good enough to say he might have been an 8, 9, 10 sack guy. I don't know that there's a guy on this roster right now that's that's threatening to be a double digit 
that guy, I think you're going to have to get a lot of contributions, but I don't know who, if you guys, you know, go under your head right now, early August, first, first week of camp, who are your projected starters on the defensive line? Um, I think, I think Rogers and Boozer are going to fight it out for that one edge spot. I think Manny Walker, you can pencil in as the other uh, defensive end. The inside, I'm going to, I'm going to say Jaquavian Mahone, the transfer from Kentucky is going to have an inside track there just because he's played significant ball before the other tackle spot. I, I guess I guess you I guess you're, yeah I guess you're thinking Kevin Robertson but one thing that was interesting to me yesterday in our very 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 brief briefing from Rod Carey is in addition to Nick Bags who we've been hearing positive things about for about a year it seems like he's finally put on the weight that he might get some things he also mentioned Darian Varner another returning freshman freshman uh, whatever you want to call him who I think has a chance to kind of carve out a role there so I think it's going to be honestly. Like, we talked about linebacker being an open competition. This is the other one. This is the position group that was hardest hit by the transfer portal. And it's, there's a lot of snaps to be played. Yeah. The guy I was going to mention is Nick Bags, man. Uh, just every time we talk to a defensive player, defensive coach, uh, you know, Rod's mentioned him a couple of times. I mean, his name is just cop. You know, I think him and Kobe Wilson were probably the names that we heard the most during spring practice. And, you know, Rod mentioned them again on that very brief uh, bus ride that we had yesterday in press conference. So a mailbag question about that. Yeah. So I, I think bags might have a legitimate shot, even though he's a, I'm going to go with second year freshman. I don't, that's <laughs> a bit of an oxymoron, but um, I, I think he's got an inside track there, but yeah, I, I, that's going to be a position that's um, going to be really, really open. I think they're really just going to take a look at the group of guys and whoever flashes the most, whoever plays the most. Um, yeah. I think Robertson's interesting as a guy, maybe you could pencil in just because he's got that size and they, they typically like to have one of those defensive tackles. Who's just like a pure gap eater uh, in the middle um, you know, we saw that lot. That was kind of Dan Archibong's thing last year. Uh, so I, I think that you know, Robertson probably projects best to that role of the guys that they have on the roster. So if they want to stick with that, uh, you know, he could be a guy maybe that you pencil in, but on the ends, I agree. I think it'll be, um, you know, Rogers and Walker, if I had to guess, and I'm assuming we'll see Boozer as well, get some pretty good snaps in a rotation. If, if he doesn't win that job with Rogers. Dante, would you see just as a, as a follow-up, if you have some, younger, more athletic linebackers, like we think they might have, whether it's a McGee or, um, I don't know if you go far as, as far back on the depth chart as like a Thomas Joe Kamar or, um, like, do you think he, do you think you could see Jeff Knowles using some of those young linebackers in certain packages to kind of say, okay, I may not have an Arnold Epichetti in this group. I have to find other ways to bring pressure. Do you think he could open things up there a little bit? I mean, I, honestly, I think you should, uh, you know, whether he will or won't, I, I will have to ask him about that. I think that's a really good question. Um, you know, look, at the end of the day, you have to find a way to get pressure on the quarterback. However you do that, you know, having having a guy like Arnold Ebiketti is the best way to do that, right? Because you can just line him up and let him go do his thing in one-on-one situations. Um, and blitzing kind of, uh, you know, leaves you open somewhere. If the quarterback's smart enough, there's a gap in the defense because you sent extra people. But look, if, you know, one of those guys goes into camp and they prove that, you know, they have the good timing and they, you know, they know how to, you know, pick their spots when they're blitzing and when they're coming through, you know, whether that's the a gap or what, um, you know, they should definitely do that. They, they really, they are probably going to need it. I mean, there's just so much uncertainty on this defensive line. I think, you know, the other thing with young linebackers too, is, um, you know, that could honestly affect the D line rotation. You know, if you have a guy like Kobe Wilson out there, 
Um, you're going to want a D line in front of him who are capable of eating blocks, guys who are capable of keeping him clean. So if you decide he's your starting linebacker, you know, that could impact who your starting defensive lineman is as well. So, you know, there, there's kind of some dominoes that have to fall there, but look, if those guys are able to generate pressure, yeah, you should be sending them because, you know, you're probably going to need it this year. There's just so much uncertainty up front. I'll have to see if a guy like Leighton Jordan is part of the mix too. And if he flashes as well. And, and I think we've mentioned this before on this podcast, part of the fun of, of covering any preseason, but I think it's a little bit more fun in football just because of the sheer number of guys you have on the roster is, you know, we, once they get back to Philly, we'll either see the first 15 minutes or last 15 minutes of practice. We might see more. Uh, we'll have to see what we can get, but a lot of times it's just asking the coaches and then asking the players who's flashing. And then sometimes just like another name comes up and they, somebody could say two weeks from now, you know, who's really starting to come around is Thomas Joe Kamara. I'm not saying they're going to say that, but that's kind of how you have to follow things along. But again, this position group will be uh, open as well. And Dante makes some good points as well about how that, um, how somebody like Kobe Wilson could affect who they play up front. Real quick, my complete shot in the dark that I want to say in case it ends up being the true. I mean, Trayvon King's name got mentioned by Preston yep. Brown a little bit while ago. He opted out last year. Same with Tyreek Young. So those might be guys to at least look out. Tyreek Young has had a bad streak of injuries. Um, maybe if he's finally healthy, I mean, that was a guy they liked out of Hilton Head. So. Mm-hmm. It'll be interesting. Yeah. I agree completely with what you said, where you kind of have an idea after a couple of weeks where it's like, okay, this name keeps getting brought up. So like, there must be something to it. Like you saw it in like 2014 when Sean, Sean Chandler's name kept getting brought up and then he becomes a four-year starter and an NFL guy. So it'll be curious. And Rod typically, yeah, I we're still in some ways getting to know his, his position coaches more, but Rod's usually pretty straightforward and honest. I mean, there was the, the press conference last year where, you know, we get to the end and, and Jeff, Collins never would have done this. I can't say I blame him because a lot of head coaches usually try to keep some sort of ambiguity, but you know, before Matt Duncan got suspended, they were, they're coming off the UCF game and we get to the end of our presser. And then Rod says, Hey guys, by the way, um, you know, Real Mitchell's dinged up. Matt Duncan's going to get the start. We're like, Whoa, thank you. So he <laughs> Rod's usually not the type of coach that engages in a ton of gamesmanship, like say a Jeff Collins, who says all, all four quarterbacks, four quarterbacks are going to play at Notre Dame. And that was just a complete crap show. All four quarterbacks. To say the least. And he comes back and says, three I, of them transferred out engaged in too much gamesmanship there. I probably shouldn't have done that. So uh, Rod Carey's not really like that. So if you start to hear, um, uh, you know, Rod talk about a couple of guys, I think there is some substance to it. Again, we'll, we'll see how things go over the next couple of weeks. Um, Next to Rod again Monday, right? I believe so. I believe Carrie is so. available on Monday. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So uh, the next two questions here come from the screen name Rockland Al. Uh, number one, having Rod Carey conduct a press conference from the back of the team bus does not speak well for the university. John or Kyle, I guess, Dante, you're being left out of this. <laughs> For you, yeah. uh, John, John or lucky, Kyle, lucky you. <laughs> John or Kyle, can you get an explanation from the athletic department as to why this happened? We do not have an, an explanation from the athletic department as to why it happened. I don't know. Honestly, don't know. I get it. it looked a little weird, but we do not work for. The Honestly, athletic. if it had, if it worked, it would have been like, oh, look, these guys are just football heads, and they don't want to waste a minute. But like, you're on ninety-five. You're always going to get bad reception. Something was always going to go bad with this. Yeah, not a good look. I do think that this is one of those um, blown up a little bit situations. Like, I think if this has happened in a silo, no one would have really cared. Because, I mean, some people are acting like there's this huge Twitter outrage. No, there's not. Do a Twitter search. There's like six people, three of which are on this call right now that that know about it. 
Um, but for the most part, I mean, it just kind of becomes a situation where people are already, already so up in arms about Temple's social media presence and the way it kind of presents itself that this is more of like a symptom of a lower thing than a big deal in itself. But an interesting look. Yeah. Question number two. Have any Temple athletes signed NIL endorsements with Philadelphia-based companies that you are able to report on? None that we know of, I would imagine. The Philadelphia part, I don't, I don't know about, but I know of some NIL stuff that's been out there. Does, have I seen that Real Mitchell has something? Where Real he- Mitchell is doing sponsored YouTube um, videos. I don't I don't know who, who it was. I saw Duan Mathis did an Instagram post where he said he had some referral code. Jordan McKee, Jordan McGee did a referral code with... Um, with uh, GoPuff, I believe. So, I mean, I think there's a bunch of stuff out there where I think what NIL offers is an opportunity to some of the lower level, like not big names, not the Bo Nixes doing Bojangles, is I think you're going to see a lot of referral code situations, a lot of cameos where it's like, hey, I can get a little bit of trickle income coming in this way. But no, there hasn't been Gary Barbera on the boulevard all of a sudden got Thomas Joe Camara to start pushing out uh, Ford Edges. Like, I, is Nothing Ford Edge quite, a car? I'm not even sure. Quite beats Philadelphia, Philadelphia area car commercials. I want not just pizza. Find somebody from South Philly. <laughs> not just pizza oh, endorses this. That NJP commercial. That that I'm gonna guess that they did not get permission to sample. You down with NJP with something and Tommy? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Which I imagine that that place had a like radio like a radius of the commercial of like six blocks and we just happened to be in the block that they're like yeah you can get the commercial not just pete dante not just pizza is a place at 11th and wolf right 11th and wolf well there's one in south jersey too but yeah oh that's right yeah, yeah they so got two locations kyle and i were, were roommates together back in in 2011 before what's that it's like quite a while ago quite a while ago yeah hey, uh, do you know when not just pizza serves not just pizza. Not just pizza. A little bit of everything. Yeah. <laughs> I, and this place was literally at the end of our block and Kyle ordered delivery one night. I didn't know. Also, also one time I ordered like breakfast food at like 7 p.m. because they said they served it all, all day round. And then they called me and they're like, we can do it, man. But like, it's just going to taste like pizza. Like, they're, they're like we use the same grill. It's going to taste like pizza. And I was like, no, I don't want my French toast to taste like pizza. Uh, well, you would come back at oh. night. Like if you parked somewhere in that, in that general vicinity, in, in South Philly where we were and you'd walk by there and there's just like the pizza fumes and exhaust yeah. just coming out like that smells like, you know, 24 hour pizza grease there. But, uh, yes, so good. but yes, hopefully uh, I would be so delighted if, if a temple player landed some sort of sponsorship or became the, the spokesperson, not just pizza, but. Hey, I mean, new faces on the team. They haven't proven, I guess that they can carry a brand like that yet. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, Rock now also says, thank you for your continued great, uh, coverage of temple football and basketball. Appreciate that Rock now. Appreciate next, you. Next question comes from the screen name two, one, five temple tough. My question for the podcast, has there been any indication or acknowledgement from Dr. Wingard in regards to the importance of hiring the right person for athletic director, or that he would like to speed up the process here with everything else that's going on in college athletics to make sure temple doesn't get left behind when the conference realignment dominoes really start to fall. I get it. You know, that this, this fan base is looking for what that stuff going on, what's next. Um, no, I, I am not aware of any interview that Jason Wingard has done where he said, we need to really prioritize. Has he done any interviews since July one? Like he had his, his press conference and that I was it. I don't think so. I, <laughs> I don't know that he has. Um, 
And I'm not saying that as like a slight. I'm just saying no, like people yeah. are asking questions. Has he indicated this or indicated that? I yeah, can't, I, mean, I, I can't I, say I've been texting Dr. Wingard. Yes, I, I get it. Get the sentiment. Those are those are two big things. Um, and I think most people know this too. If it comes to, and who knows what the hell is going to happen or not happen with conference realignment with the Big Twelve. Um, in case you don't know this, this is something that like if Temple did make any moves there, this is not a situation where you hire a new athletic director and then he comes to Jason Wingard. Hey guys, just wanted to let you know uh, to lead off our 9 a.m. meeting today. I got us into the Big 12. That doesn't, or, you know, I was able to help us uh, form a coalition of people who are poaching teams in the Big 12. It's not how that works. You know, president- coalition of the willing, if you if you What's will. that? A coalition of the willing, if you will. Yes, yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, it's not a situation where like a new athletic director comes in and gets that done. That is a trustee level thing, a president level thing. But yeah, I totally get it. Totally get it. But I have not seen anything where Jason Wingard has said that. That's not to say that Jason Wingard doesn't think that hiring a new athletic director uh, isn't a priority. You know, I, I don't know what the timetable is going to be. I wouldn't expect that Fran Dunphy will be Temple's athletic director by this time next year. I'm sure you're saying like, I, I want there to be a new athletic director in a couple months. Don't know what the timeline is going to be, but um, I get it. I get the anticipation, but I don't think that he has said anything outwardly, but that doesn't mean that something isn't in the, in the works and that they couldn't have, you know, an RFP out soon for a search firm or something like that, whatever the process is going to be, but nothing concrete as of yet. But again, doesn't mean that he's deprioritizing it. Next question comes from the screen name West Coast Al. What running back ends the season with the most carries? It's a, it's a good question. Again, it's a super early, but again, another position where there's a huge question mark. I, I think I said earlier in the podcast, if I were to take an educated guess, you know, I, and we'll talk Gabe Infante at some point. I don't know that he might even feel like he has a true home run back. Um, I mean, there are some intriguing candidates there. You've got, you know, Iverson Clement transferring him from Florida. You've got, um, you've got uh, Rayvon Bonner. We don't know what you're going to get out of him coming from Cincinnati. I mean, he's got some, you know, put up some, some numbers. He has a, a body of work uh, in the big 10. You've got Tavon Rui, who's your kind of old dependable guy, a former walk-on who was just that was dependable last year. Um, is, is the team really, as high on Ed Sadie as they appear to be in spring ball. Um, so yeah, it's, it's up in the air. What do you guys think? Way too early um, prediction on how many guys, what, what guy's going to end the season with the most carries. This is a tough one. Um, I think like the obvious answer is like Tavon Ruley, right? Like just because he's been here. So like, I mean, if you're a betting man, you know, obviously there's no odds on this anywhere. At least I don't think um, I, I think that would probably be like the odds on favorite, um, but I, I think, you know, John, you just mentioned the guy I was going to mention as kind of a sleeper was Edward Sadie, just because that was a name that we heard a lot in spring practice. And, you know, he certainly has the size to be a bell cow back 5'11", 215. Um, you know, he could be the guy that they, you know, want to try and, you know, pound teams up the middle with, you know, he certainly has that size. So we think Sadie's really 5'11". Didn't he look Probably not. We there's a good rule of thumb in scouting is that teams usually add two inches. So if I was writing him up, I'd probably write him as like five, nine and a half, five, ten. Or but, like if you just brought in a point guard from New Garetti that you're listing at six, two. <laughs> <you go. laughs> they're, they're listing Fabe at six, two. Uh-huh. He's a very good player. He might be my height. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Go ahead, Dante. Sorry about that. No, no, it's, it's a good point. I mean, I, and I don't know. Those are the two guys that popped out to me. I think like, 
Bonner's interesting just because like he played at Illinois and like, you know, like you can kind of go back and see that, you know, he basically, he ran, you know, they ran a very similar run scheme to what Temple does here. Just a lot of inside zone stuff. So, you know, he's comfortable with that. So, um, you know, I don't know. We didn't hear a ton about him in spring practice. So we didn't, I, he was out. He yeah, was injured. He was out. COVID, right? He got so, COVID, right? Yeah. I believe so. I believe he said he did. Yes. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, I have no idea what to expect from him because he didn't practice in the spring. We didn't hear much about him. Uh, there's just a lot of uncertainty. So I think Ruley probably the odds on favorite. Um, and Sadie's a guy who we've heard a lot of good things about. So maybe he's like, you know, your sleeper or your value bet, if you will. Yeah. Look, I mean, I, I'm going to echo a lot of that. I think if the question was who's going to get the most touches, maybe Iverson Clements more in that conversation just because he can do more out of the slot and he can be more receiving threat. I kind of always go back to a quote that uh, Gabe Infante had like a year ago where he said, if we're going to go tempo and I'm not going to be able to sub these guys, like you need to be able to do everything. And I think Tavon Ruley is the most complete running back in that group. He might not be the best at any one thing, but I think he's able to pass block, catch, run. I think he's the, he's my odds on favor at least. Cause I mean, Bonner, he, he hasn't played in a year, so his knees are hopefully a lot better than what they would be normally for a fifth-year senior in college. Um, but he wasn't really receiving threat at Illinois. Um, Clement hasn't shown anything yet. I, I would say until proven otherwise, Tavon Ruley. Uh, I'll, I'll read this quote. Again, this is from uh, Preston Brown. We talked to Preston a couple of Sundays ago, and I had asked him about Iverson Clement. What do you think is possible for him this season? Now, you know, Preston's brand new to the staff, director of player development coming in. Uh, from Woodrow Wilson High School. And uh, I mean, some pretty lofty praise here. This could just be Preston being really excited. And again, it's not to say Preston Brown doesn't know football. He definitely does. He's, he's you know, he played at Tulane. He's had some talented players come through his program. But I asked him about Iverson. This is what he said. I mean, the sky's the limit. He has pro football talent. I play college ball with Moel DeMore and Matt Forte. Uh, he's referring to his time at Tulane. He's as good as either one of those guys at every level. So I think once he really puts it together and now in today's college football, in today's world, you don't have to play 90 snaps to really get a, a really good look. You just have to be productive in the snaps that you do get. And I think that's what, uh, in that running back room there, uh, coach Infante is doing a great job with some really good talent and really good players. And all of them could be great assets to the team for this year. So kind of came in hot there with some lofty comparisons, uh, uh to a couple of guys that played in the NFL, but again, Matt Forte won me a lot of money one year. His rookie year, him and Steve Slayton were my running backs, won me a lot of money. Slayton, pride yeah. of uh, where do you go? Not West Virginia. No, but before where he played at uh, at um, uh, Egan. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Thank you. Um, next question from uh, the screen name D Blaze seventy five. Question for the Al Scoop team: How much of a difference? How much of a different offense are you expecting this year with a QB room full of dual threats? Fifty percent difference, totally revamped offense. Um, so, well, I can't, this isn't the first time I've been asked similar questions, right? Like, what does the Rod Carey or Mike Urenbridge offense look like when everything's in the right place? The staff that I kind of got a couple of weeks ago when I looked up at this, Rod Carey's seven seasons at Northern Illinois. So he's the one year as the offensive coordinator, six years as the head coach. His quarterbacks averaged 78 rushing yards a game. In two seasons at Temple, his quarterbacks have averaged 12.2 rushing yards a game. So a drastically different situation. I think... I don't think it's all of a sudden going to be like what you saw when Real Mitchell was running the offense because SMU and they were just like really forcing it. I think they want to have a handful of design quarterback runs, but I, I think the bigger aspect of this is the when can you check down to a quarterback run situation? When can Dwan Mathis or Real Mitchell see that my first four options are covered? I just got to go 
get five, six, seven yards. So I would imagine you're going to get a lot more quarterback runs. I'm not sure how many of them are going to be like straight designed quarterback keepers. Dante, your thoughts on that? Yeah, I, I really, I agree with a lot of what you said. And I think it's, it's interesting if you go back and look at, you know, Mathis is kind of billed as this like very athletic mobile quarterback, which he most definitely is, especially compared to what they had last year with Anthony Russo when Trad Beatty was back there. Um, but you know, he, even if you go back to high school, it's not like he was putting up like robust running numbers in high school. Um, and I think that the value that Mathis is going to bring is less going to be in front of the line of scrimmage and more behind it as a guy who can, um, you know, avoid pressure, create uh, out of structure, which is something that we're seeing, you know, have a huge emphasis in the NFL right now. If you look at a lot of the best NFL quarterbacks, you know, that's something that they really lean on. Um, you know, so I, I think that's where Mathis's legs is going to make the most impact. Are they going to run design quarterback runs with him? Yeah, of course. And, you know, are they going to run more zone read and read option stuff? Yeah, of course. But I, I really don't think it's going to be that much different. You know, maybe, you know, um, you know, maybe when we get Justin Lynch in there or if, you know, Mathis goes down and Mitchell goes back to being the quarterback, maybe we see that, you know, drastic switch, you know, in a couple of years, they slowly work their way, you know, to what they're trying to build uh, in that offense. But, you know, Mathis is a good athlete. There's no doubt about that. He's an improvement as an athlete over Anthony Russo, but you know, this is not, you know, they're not getting Lamar Jackson back there. You know, this is not a guy who's a, you know, really has a huge profile of, of being able to beat teams with his legs beyond the line of scrimmage. So it's an improvement, but honestly, I would not expect a big, big change in that area. I think where you're going to see the most change is Mathis is going to be able to do things on the run outside the pocket behind the line of scrimmage that somebody like Anthony Russo wasn't able to do. Yeah. And just kind of to, to add on to that part, I also think that, I mean, it's, they don't, they don't pay me to make excuses. So it's not my job to make excuses for the coaching staff. I, I think it was probably strange to all of a sudden go from a statue of a quarterback to having to adjust your offense and your game plan to more of a mobile quarterback once Real Mitchell got in there. Now that you got nothing but dual threats in there, you can kind of institute similar game plans every week. I think you're going to see them stretch the field more. I think um, you didn't see it so much in the Arkansas game because, I mean, he didn't play that much, got dinged up. Florida, against Florida, Mathis took some shots. So, I mean, I think he has the arm strength to kind of stretch the field. And when you look at this wide receiver room, we were talking about this before we started recording, they lost the the big threats in Brandon Mack, right? Like they don't have a 6'5 guy that – necessarily a short thing out there and ryan stevenson might become that jordan smith might become that it's a bunch of smaller faster receivers right now so i mean i think they're going to have to try to take some shots downfield in this offense and whether that's designed hey let's just do this or if that's hey mathis buying time and jim blue sneaks behind them randall jones has the speed to beat a lot of cornerbacks in this league if he gets behind them so i think it should be a more exciting offense than what they've seen well, to me, it's a chance to, I mean, I may, maybe Rod Carey and Mike Uremovich, maybe they wouldn't articulate it this way to be so bold to articulate this way, but you know, that, you know, anybody on the staff is going to take some heat after you go one and six. And sure. you know, if you can, you know, if they start off and they do well and, and the offense is cooking, then you might hear them say, yeah, this is what we always hope to do with our offense. And I agree with what Dante's saying. I don't think you're going to see so many design runs, I mean, he's a tall kind of, he's still a, a tall, skinny guy who was concussed uh, at, at one point last year. I'm sure they want to keep him healthy. I'm sure any staff wants to keep any quarterback healthy, of course, but I don't know that you're going to see, as the guy said here, you know, five, 10, 12 design runs a game, but it's what he can do, you know, when plays break down and stuff like that. But if it is working, then I think you might hear them say like, yeah, this is what we always hope to do in opening up our offense. You know, when we were in our heyday, 
at Northern Illinois. Um, you know, Jordan Lynch, the, the older brother of Justin Lynch, who coached him at Mount Carmel High School out in, in Chicago. You know, we're able to do this with them and that with them. Again, they're two different players, but I think it'll be really interesting to see what they do there. Uh, one last thing, I, I, I completely understand why, but I feel like when people look back at last year, they think like, holy crap, that offense was terrible and blah, blah. It was pretty good until Anthony Russo went down. Like it legitimately was those first three games, they're averaging 450 yards and 33 points. And Jaden blue has like five touchdowns in two games. Like they were putting up some productive numbers there. And then there was just such a drastic drop off once Russo went down and then COVID just spiraled and became kind of a clown show that yeah, there should be some reason for optimism. I think for the offense, if there's not, if, if they go through another 12 game se- a season and they go three and nine and they're averaging 22 points a game, then some harder, bigger level questions need to be asked about some personnel or staff or right. structure. Uh, the final question here, and this one is from Twitter. The, the Twitter handle is at Matt Debs. What are the chances this team surprises? 10th in the conference poll with a freshman quarterback and a lot of turnover, yet I'm still optimistic. Am I crazy or just biased? Is this a defining year for Rod and company? Um. I think this kind of comes down to what your definition of surprise is. Um, I think if your definition of surprise is like, this could be a team that's like maybe fourth or fifth in the conference. I I don't think that that's totally insane. Um, I I think it's a long shot, but I I don't think it's crazy. I think that would be kind of maybe best case scenario where Mathis comes out and, you know, they're able to win seven, eight games. And, you know um, you know, a lot of the transfer guys on defense, you know, we didn't talk about the cornerback room, you know, on the podcast yet, but like even that's another room where they're adding, you know, Cameron Ruiz and, and Keyshawn Paul. So, you know, you just have so many question marks and stuff to predict this team. Um, personally, I, and I don't know, I, I don't think it's a defining year for Rod Carey. I don't know if that is me just being a little bit lenient or what? I don't know if defining is the right word. I, I do think that they need to be better than last year, obviously. Um, you know, I do think they need to show some growth. They do need to show that, you know, at least that they're steering the ship in the right direction. Um, but I don't know if it's like a year where they need to be, you know, one of the best teams in the conference. Cause I, I don't think that's a realistic expectation. So, you know, if, if your definition of surprise is, Hey, this is going to be a team that comes out and they're in all their ball games. And you know what? Maybe they win seven, eight games this year. I think that's like the high end, you know, realistic expectation that you season, can have. Yeah. yeah. So I, I again, I don't know if they get there. I think this is probably like maybe a five, six win team. Maybe I think is maybe more realistic, but you know, could they get to seven or eight if everything falls in place? Yeah, I, I think they could. I don't think that's totally crazy. Yeah, I agree with that. Um yeah, I don't think there's any chance they go 10 and 2 and all of a sudden you're hosting the American Athletic Conference Championship at the link or anything. But if Mathis is what he sounds like he is, if the defensive line plugins are able to give you a serviceable defensive line right away, then they have the weapons on offense. They have the talent at linebacker that maybe, yeah, maybe they go seven and five, maybe they go six and six, eight and four. I think the hard part's going to be really keeping it together. Um, I mean, the schedule, it does not do them any favors in the beginning. Like the hard part of their conference schedule is the first part of their conference schedule. You got Memphis since Cincy at USF, which, yeah, I know USF is down, but historically they don't play great in Tampa. Um, and then they're hosting UCF. So you see a fall off after that. And maybe that's when you start seeing them rack up some wins. I think it is a defining year for Rod Carey, to be honest, but I think it's kind of what Dante said. 
if they go two and 10 and three and nine and everything was pretty much just last year, but stretch over the course of 12 game season, then I think you have some very serious, very legitimate questions about the future of this program. If they're five and seven, six and six, and you can see, Hey, they took their lumps in 2020 and they made the right steps in 2021. Then I think things will be fine. Honestly, I feel like, I think I said this on another podcast. I was on recently. I think 2021 through 2022 is like the most important temple sports season since like 2013 i think basketball needs to take a big step in the right direction and show that these guards are what they expect them to be and i think football needs to take a step back to normalcy if they don't if they just have repeats of 2020 then the new athletic director whenever he or she may get hired might have some decisions to make yeah absolutely couldn't say anything which, there's a there's a field hockey coach opening now that's a shame she had done yeah. a she had done a uh, a really good job there um the new interim coach is a two-time Olympian, though. So maybe yes. broadcast that temple. Yes. Um, uh, so again, uh, we will be with you next week. Uh, a ton of, of preseason football left. I had to cover so many position battles, as Dante said. And, um, we are we are like two weeks away from John's favorite preseason question. What's that? You ask this every year. About like two weeks in, you're going to ask the players at a certain point, are you getting sick of hitting each other? Do you want to hit somebody else? It's <laughs> not a big me question. It's a lot a, of you, people ask that. I, it's it's fine, but like you're gonna ask it at one point. <laughs> you're gonna be like a mirror. Like you're just getting ready, you're ready to hit somebody else. You're ready to hit a different just uniform. To, despite you, I'm not gonna ask them that question. I <laughs> even with you being aware of it, I am willing to bet money that you are going to. You're ask gonna drop it. a question if it's on Zoom. You're gonna drop a question into the chat. Kyle Gauss in parentheses, John DiCarlo. <laughs> yeah, screenshot it. Keep coming. Like, see, yeah. what am yeah. I going to do? Photoshop this? In John's defense, I asked Sean Bradley that two years ago. It's a just, perfectly, like, it yeah, gets asked. I mean, People ask that question. You usually get a good response for it. But, like, John, this is, this is like, our, our 13th rodeo at this point. So, like... <laughs> If I, uh, you know, if we're on Zoom, well, oh actually, da- so Dante's gonna Dante's gonna be up at Rutgers for us. I will actually be teaching a class that night. But if I can avoid dropping something into the chat this year, where I'm not talking about <laughs> housing a couple of slices of pizza, I'll be happy with myself. So, anyway, uh, <laughs> thanks for thanks for sticking with us. Is it like a six thirty kickoff instead of seven? It's six thirty. Yeah. Yeah, it's a weird time. I it think is, yeah, I don't know if I should be telling John this, but I might have to miss a class too to go, to go up there. <laughs> I'm perfectly <laughs> fine huh? with it. <laughs> Jersey fine. man, that's fine. Um, yeah, you're gonna park for- a mile away from the stadium because they they shove the media there. in like a church parking lot. Yes, get up there. Uh, get up there early. Um, man. But yeah. It's a weird, it's a weird campus, man. Season opener is going to be upon us uh, sooner than you think. Thanks for tuning in this week. Real happy to have Dante on board. Great stuff. Great job. Uh, We'll talk to you guys next week. Again, more preseason coverage. Appreciate all the mailbag questions. Keep them coming. And uh, we'll talk to you soon.